Hey, church family. Excited to continue our series called When God Talks Back as we've been studying the book of Habakkuk. And I want us to study this small portion of this passage in Habakkuk in chapter 2, knowing that the world in a lot of ways is going through things that we've never experienced before or at least been made aware of. And so today as we study this passage, I hope that you would engage in God's word because even though it was written thousands of years ago, it speaks to where we are today. Today we're going to allow God to speak for himself and put on display how good he is through the reading and teaching of his word. Habakkuk, which we've been studying, Habakkuk was a prophet who had complained to God in chapter 1 about what he believed was God's inactivity to bring judgment and justice against the people of Judah. And then God responds. And he responds in Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 with this. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Even if you were told, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. God answers Habakkuk's complaint with a plan that Habakkuk at first does not accept because it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right that God would bring judgment against Judah's sin with a sin that is far greater in the people of, ba of the Babylonians. But as we have said before, we don't get to dictate if God answers our prayers, nor we don't get to dictate how God decides to answer our prayers when he does. So God is going to use this impetuous people who are uh, arrogant and really believe their own hype about themselves and that they can do whatever they want and get whatever they want, which is have a total takeover of the lands of the people of Judah by force and intimidation. We also have said in the past that God doesn't grade on a curve. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul, the apostle, writes this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The bad news is that we all sin, that we are all separated from God. The good news is that because of Jesus, we are all even at the foot of the cross if we've trusted him as our savior and as our justification. And so a little less evil doesn't make you less evil, you know? You wouldn't drink water with just a little bit of poison inside of it, would you? It's contaminated, and so is every person on earth because of their sins. So we cannot just try to be better. We need to be made new because our sinful hearts and desires and condition creates a chasm between us and God that is so great we could never get back to him on our own two feet or through our own effort. So like a person attempting to jump across the middle of the Grand Canyon, we are without a shot or option to do anything in our own strength. But what we're going to study today is that God created a bridge for us to him that has nothing to do with our effort, has nothing to do with our goodness. In fact, it has nothing to do with us at all. So let's read the words of God spoke to, to the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what it says. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. Habakkuk, God says, pay attention to what I'm about to reveal to you, that I'm going to give you this revelation. Write it down, not on parchment, not on paper, but write it on tablets for all to see, so that a herald of mine can run with it and share it wherever they go 
for all to see because my words are to be paid attention to and to be understood as promises that will come to fruition. I've been running a lot. And for those of you who have been running a lot longer than I have, I know what I'm about to say is gonna kind of make me sound pretty late to the party, but running has been a sanctuary for me. Aaron, my wife and I run together. Six days a week, we usually rest on Fridays, and sometimes we run at different paces, but we get to do it together. We enjoy the endorphins and the soreness together. When we first started running together and we first started running longer distances at the beginning of Shelter in Place, I could barely keep up with Erin. I could barely keep up with the distances that she'd want to go. But as we run every day, I've been able to beef up my endurance, if you will, and also my speed. Practice doesn't make perfect, but it does make better. And we've both been building up endurance and perseverance since we've been taking on longer mileage. I'm recording the sermon on Friday, and Saturday, we plan to run about 21 miles together. I hope we actually do it. And it's amazing the time that we have to think about different things as we're running. We talk a little, we listen to music on our uh, ear pods or earbuds. We, we spend time, I listen to different books, and sometimes I just take the, the AirPods right out of my ears and I just run and I think and I think about the world and I think about the reality that there are so many things between the Christian life and long distance running that actually parallel one another. People have asked me for a while now, do you want to run a marathon, which is 26.2 miles? And at first I couldn't fathom I would ever be able to run that far. But as we continue to build up the mileage each week, I guess we're going to be going for a marathon technically in just a few weeks from now if we continue to add two to three miles each Saturday. But what's the deal with marathons? The name marathon comes from the legend of Pheidippides, the Greek messenger. The legend states that he was sent from the battlefield of Marathon to Athens to announce that the Persians had been defeated in the battle of Marathon. Now, he had just fought in this battle, and this battle, which took place in August of uh, about 490 BC. It is said, legend has it, that he ran the entire distance without stopping and burst into the assembly with lots of other people there exclaiming, we have won, right before he collapsed and died. The distance is believed to be 26 miles and 385 yards. Phidippides was a messenger, a herald, who was bringing news that where he was running from Marathon, at least as legend has it, he had been running to tell everyone that the, the battle had been defeated, that his side, that the people that he was a part of, had won. And a herald would bring news to people that they would be informed. And as Aaron and I have begun to run together more and more, I got to be honest, I'm not doing it to bring any news. That's not the goal of it. Honestly, it's to keep sane while sheltering in place. I do get exercise. I do get to enjoy time with my wife. But really, as the distances keep increasing, and yes, at some point, I guess I can admit, we're going to try to do a marathon in a few weeks. But the running analogy is one that is used by Paul in Scripture to explain what our Christian lives are really like and how we ought to conduct ourselves. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and here's what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. No matter what type of run you're imagining right now, the advice is the same. Run as if to win. If you're doing a sprint, that means preparation. That means prop, the proper light shoes. That means the proper clothes the, that have the right aerodynamics. That means being properly fueled, not overeating as to be weighed down, but really to have enough food so you can handle a really good jump out of the blocks as you take off. But I tend to think more in the marathon analogy when Paul is speaking about this, which may require proper preparation as well but it will require constantly fueling yourself. Shoes that will benefit your stride, clothes that don't chafe, and the right kind of mental preparation for such a long distance to compete and complete. I used to believe that what Paul was insinuating was that in order to, that you must run to win, you must run with all that you can at all times and but that's not exactly what he meant when he said run to win. As someone who now can officially say that they're a runner who runs pretty consistently, I know that I have to get into the right mental place to run far distances. I know that I have to fuel my body. I know that there's preparation involved and endurance that comes from that preparation and that consistency of practicing and running over and over again. Not just trying as hard as we can to get somewhere, because if you've ever ran or you've ever ran with someone who in your life that you know that just tries to run as fast as they can from the beginning, they may take off and get in front of you, but eventually they run out of steam. And so that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about being prepared, making sure that you go into strict training. Our Christian lives are an ultra marathon, not a hundred meter sprint. It requires preparation and practice to build endurance, but it's going to be a while. As Christians, we can be going through highs and lows, and I know for myself there are times where I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with other Christians. I'm frustrated with the reality of I'm just not really following Jesus the way that I know that I ought to, but I have to remember that it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. When I run, one of the things that I notice on the apps that show me show the runs that I've done is it gives the different uh, laps. As you run each mile, it tells you how fast that you've gone. And there are times where I'm going really fast and that lowers the average mile per hour or, or uh, miles that I run in an hour. But then there are times where the, the mileage or the speed that I was going go up a lot. And the reality is that it is a marathon. It takes a long time to run far distances. And in our Christian life, there are going to be times that we're going to feel like we're healthy, that we're running fast, that things are really good. And then there are going to be times where we're running and we feel bogged down and that it's slow. And if we're honest, 
especially right now while we're in shelter in place, while there are things happening in this world where unfortunately racism is abounding, protests are happening, uh, people are, are being told that they're wrong, other people are be thinking that they're right. It, we are in a crazy situation and as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be reminded this is not a sprint, this is a marathon. So Habakkuk, was to write this revelation down that God is going to give Habakkuk, write it down on tablets for a herald to share the news with others who would then run it around the area so that people could be informed, they could be told. And look at what God says in verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God's timing of the truth that he's going to share is appointed. It is not accidental. It is not coincidental. It is part of God's plan for the timing as much as the plan itself. It speaks of the end, of what will happen. Not the end of days, but the end of the Babylonian reign. It will happen. It will not be proven false. This is a promise. This isn't God guessing. This isn't only God's foreknowledge of what he knows to be true in the future. This is God's presence in the future. He knows what will happen because he's involved. He doesn't just know about next week. He's in next week. And we as followers of Jesus can be reminded that there's no place that he asks us to go that he's not there with us. And God says something so profound. Though it linger, wait for it. Even though it's going to take longer than you want, wait for it. It may not be in your timing, but it will be for God's glory. So wait. Don't miss out. God's up to something. Trust him in the journey and trust him with the results. My judgment, he says, will certainly come and it will not delay. There is nothing that stops God's timing, not our will, not our choices, not our plan. God's timing in the journey and the results are all part of the trusting process. You may think, God, if you had only come sooner, but God doesn't. His scope and perspective is much farther than a human's. He can see much farther than we can. We can at best maybe see 10 miles in front of us, even though we can't really see everything that's in front of us. And yet the God of the universe can look to the depths of the farthest star in the solar system and see inside of an atom here on earth all at the same time. Verse 3 again, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false, though it linger Wait for it. It's certain it will certainly come and will not delay. Verse 4 See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. God is pointing out that the ego of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, that they are puffed up, that they see their own ability as their greatest strength without any realization or acknowledgement of God or any other factor that contributes to their dominance. I, I really want to be real with you, possibly and probably a little too real as I say what I'm about to say. 
I have no idea if this will actually end up in the sermon, but I need to at least write down and make notes of what I want to tell you right now. Our world, but especially our country, is incredibly sinful. Now, that's not surprising. That's not earth-shattering. You know I've said that many times. But the sin that I'm talking about in particular is our arrogance. The type of arrogance that makes one type of person believe that they're better than another type of person. The type of arrogance that wants to put on display their contribution to protests for a cause that I think is incredibly important, mind you. But many didn't go because of disgust of what's happening. They went for a photo op from a woman in Southern California wanting to pretend to be boarding up a building so she could post it on Instagram, to a politician attempting to pretend to align themselves with the word of God in front of a church building, we live in a period of time where narcissism and voyeurism is celebrated. It's celebrated through likes and retweets and shares. And I know for me, I find myself praying a lot more for people that I've never met in this season of life, probably more than I ever have. I've never known less what to say regarding what's happening in the world than I do right now. So I have an application for you that's similar to the, it's the exact same application that I have for myself. If you've acted in pride this week, if you've acted in arrogance this week, Here's your application. And spoiler, it's not something the Babylonians will do. It's simply to repent, to change direction, to put down your ego and your pride and to put on Christ's perfect record. See, repentance is only possible through faith that God gives us. And a Christian who acts entitled doesn't understand grace. So we must put on Jesus's perfect record his perfect sacrifice, his perfect love, and stop acting as if we did anything to contribute to our salvation, that we deserve grace or anything else ridiculous like that. I've had some of the worst interactions with other people. Let me be real. I've had some of the worst interactions with other pastors over the past few weeks. I've just been hearing about all of their rights and all the ways that they think things should be done, especially in the government, and how they think that, uh, that uh, the reality that churches aren't being allowed to open as fast as they want them to is horrible and horrific. And yet, even though I don't agree with everything that's happening, I also really care about our people and I want to make sure that we're safe. So we may not move as fast as you want. And for some of you, we may move too fast. But what I've heard from different people, especially as I've questioned them, are people thinking through the lens of their, personal, their own personal welfare, their own personal preference, their own personal comfort, rather than what God has to say in his word. And as we as pastors, we ought to have a lot less excuse because we ought to know a lot more about God's heart revealed in his word. Church of the Valley, is there a place in your life that you're currently dealing with that you need to repent of? Because I take seriously God's word, and it says 
often, and this is requoted often in Psalm 138, verse 6 in ESV, it says, For the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. In other words, it's quoted often in the New Testament. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way in chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposing a type of sin that some of us are identified by is a pretty big deal. And someone who knows that there is a ton of pride in themselves. I know that there is a ton of pride in myself. I have learned how to manage some of it. I've learned how not to let all of it out. It is disgusting, though, when I hear myself talk about how important I am. It's disgusting when I, when I say something and then someone has to correct me because I made something about me when God was the one that should have got the credit. But it's something that God is going to change in those who are following him because God's favor is amongst the humble. And humility is not something you can do in and of yourself. It is something that God does to you through circumstance. Humility happens through Christ-likeness. You or I can't say we are like Jesus. It's really, if we say that, it doesn't actually prove anything. But as we grow through obedience to his word, we look more and more like Jesus over time. Have you ever heard someone say about themselves, well, I'm humble. That's a great way of discerning that they really don't know what they're talking about. And humility is one of those identifying marks of Christ's likeness. So if you want to be opposed by God, then do whatever you want and make it about you. But if you don't, if you don't want to be in, op in opposition with the master of the universe, it requires more of him and less of you. C.S. Lewis, in a condensed quote from Mere Christianity that kind of got put together, it says it this way, the truly humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And so as God writes to Habakkuk, as he speaks this to Habakkuk in verse 4, he says, His desires are not upright. Speaking about the Babylonians, their desires, those of Babylon, those who are proud and puffed up by their own ability and works have desires that are not godly or upright. They're not to be followed and they're not to be imitated. And then he ends in verse 4 with, But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The proud trust in themselves. The righteous live by faith in Jesus. God justified Abraham because of faith, not because of action. And there is this tension. It's not that those who work at things don't have faith. They just have faith in themselves rather than they do in God's promises. So how does that work? Well, as we talked about it last week, we don't need to pay God back and discount his gift nor do we receive his grace by attempting to earn it. Because once we do that, it ceases to be a gift. Because we are now attempting to jump across the Grand Canyon in our own strength, rather than trusting the bridge who is Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. 
God gave Paul faith, not because of his usefulness, but to display God's glory through him. God justifies out of his grace by giving faith, not because we deserve it, but because God is a gracious gift giver. This statement, the just shall live by his faithfulness, the just shall live by faith, is quoted multiple times in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, Galatians 3 and Hebrews 10, and in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, Paul says it this way, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul is addressing the church in Rome to remind and equip them that righteous, the righteousness that is procured in Christianity is not one of works or good deeds, but of a faith in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus living, dying, and rising from the dead. And this belief, which leads us to action, is the only thing in this universe that has the power to make us right before God. God's gift of right standing is not received through an action, but it is received through the person of Jesus Christ. And then in Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes and says in verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Paul is telling the church in Galatia that they cannot rely on their keeping of the law to make them holy enough to come to God. And that is what we attempt to communicate every single week. Every time myself or Mike or others get into the pulpit, we open the word of God. We want to communicate the reality that you cannot work your way to God. No matter how good you are, no matter what things you do, no matter how many humanitarian acts you perform, no matter what good you can do in your own strength, it will never, ever be enough. It will never, ever be enough to make you righteous because relationship with God is through God coming to you, not you working your way to him. That may be the most simplistic sentence I could share about God's justification of his children. The relationship with God is through God coming to you, not you working your way to him. He does it. We receive it. We don't do it. And then he receives it. Here's what I mean. He does it. He satisfies the law by keeping it in the person and work of Jesus. He does it and we receive it. He satisfies the law. We don't keep the law. We can't. It's him who's done it for us. And then lastly, the writer of Hebrews quotes God through the book of Habakkuk when he writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 through 38, he says, you need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. The writer of Hebrews is pointing out the reality of those who are actually God's people. Those who have been entrusted the Holy Spirit persevere. One who is made righteous through faith exercises faith, and that faith continues. Perseverance is a quality that one possesses because of faith in Christ. Those who know him don't forget him. They continue to know him, which is eternal life. And just like running a long 
race or a long marathon or a, dis, or a long distance, one must build up endurance and they must continue to persevere. I'm, uh, I'm at a bit of a loss, if I'm honest. I, I, don't, I don't really know what to do with all the news that I'm watching and the people that are being affected with all that's happening. From people dying because of racism, to people dying because of the coronavirus, to people on both sides of the fence assuming that their opinion is most important, it's hard to really grasp how messed up everything really is. But there is a supernatural reality. It's the one I can speak into. It is the one that I am equipped to talk about. It's the one that I'm not at a loss to speak of. It is the supernatural reality that believers in Jesus Christ must embrace that this is not our forever home. This is a place where we get to make much of Jesus until he bids us home. And we have an eternity waiting for us in God our Savior. But for a little while, we will have to endure trials of many kind. But Peter says, count them as pure joy. I think James says that. Arrogance, personal preference, racism, bigotry, and other sinful behaviors are what seem to be like they're at an all-time high. When anxiety and fear and anger may seem like they are going to overtake us, there's one answer to all of this. And I'm sure most of you know what I'm about to say. That answer isn't a sentence or a slogan. The answer isn't written on t-shirts. The answer is in a person. A perfect Savior who left the comforts of heaven and lived on this earth amongst his creation, always satisfying the law with his obedience. And in the largest moment of injustice in all of human history, Jesus Christ hung on a cross for the sins of this world. But Jesus didn't stay on that cross. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Jesus' life didn't not count. His life and his death and his resurrection made a way so that you and I did not have to be on our own, but we could be God's own people by trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and living by faith in him. We have what the only opportunity in all of human history we have the opportunity to be made righteous because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, not what we do on our own. So today, in what feels like in the middle of a pandemic where protests and distrust of leadership and authority seems to be at an all-time high, I don't want to share a political agenda or even my commentary on how terrible things really are. I want to share a person with you and implore you to repent, to change direction. If you've known Jesus for a long time, I'm sure there are things in you that you need to repent of, possibly pride. If you've never met him, I'm going to encourage you to repent and change direction because no matter how far you think you've ran from God, no matter how far you've gone, as soon as you turn around, he's right there to meet you. 
But I want to introduce you to the person of Jesus Christ who lived the life you couldn't, died the death that you should have died, and physically rose from the dead. So I beg you to bow down to Jesus Christ, to trust him, to follow him, to love him. Because as you do, you won't look at people through a lens of the color of their skin or the political party that they're affiliated with. You will look at other people of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation, as people created in God's image for God's glory to be put on display. That Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, child, elderly, young adult, baby boomer, Gen X, millennial, Republican, Democrat, Hispanic, African American, Caucasian, Asian, European, Middle Eastern, gay, straight, they all have the same opportunity to be made right before a holy and perfect God, not because of anything we've done, but all because of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so I beg you, repent. Trust him. Even if you think you've been a Christian, repent and change direction and trust him and know that God has got you because of what he's accomplished. Because he lived the life you couldn't. He died a death he shouldn't have had to die, and he physically rose from the dead victoriously and triumphantly so that we could have life and a right standing before God. And through this person who personifies the gospel message, we can be transformed, we can be changed to be with Jesus and be more like Jesus. I hate what's going on right now. I hate the news. I hate the things that I'm reading. I hate that when I read one news article, they emphasize one thing. I read another article, they emphasize something else. Racism is not okay in the kingdom of God. And the gospel is true. And the gospel is in opposition with racism. And if God came for every type of person, I'm with him. Because Jesus Christ is worth it. And Jesus Christ is worth laying down our lives because he first laid down his life so that we would have life. I'm sorry, <clears throat> we're not, we're not going to get to verse 5. We'll save it for next week. But I want to end with the reality that we as a church are still the church of Jesus Christ, even though we're not meeting in a building right now. But even if we were meeting in a building, even if we're meeting on the lawn, even if we're meeting on YouTube and on Zoom, we are still the people of Jesus Christ. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the, the body of believers that are the bride of Jesus Christ. And so thank you for those of you that are continuing to engage. I know this is an ideal. I know that, man, there's so many people I just want to hug and be close to. But for this time... We need to do what we're doing to stay safe, to keep other people to be safe. There's so many things that I want to speak about, so many things that I want to say, and I just, I just want to point you to Jesus because that's all I got. With that, I'm going to pray, and this is usually where we take our offering, and I just want to thank people that are continuing to give towards the work of the ministry at Church of the Valley. I thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord. It's not about us. It's not about keeping the lights on. It's not even about the pay of the staff members. It's about your faithfulness to trust God. And so thank you for those who are. 
And so we take an offering, you can do it online, you can go to the website and covalley.com forward slash giving, I believe, or maybe it's give, or you can mail a check to the, the address on the screen. But wanna encourage you to keep doing that, but I just wanna pray for us. And that's really all I can do. I don't really have the, the most important words to say in my own strength, but I have God's word and I can point us to it. And so I wanna pray for us and so I ask that as you're sitting there, as you're going to prepare yourself to, we're going to respond in worship, I'd encourage you to just prepare your heart to sing praises to this God who is worthy of our praise. But would you pray with me? God, I know you're good. And I know I'm not in and of myself. I know that myself and other people in this world are born into sin and we are sinful creatures that need your intervention. So God, I pray that you would intervene. I pray that you'd intervene like never before in this country especially, but all across the world. The men and women would see the goodness of Jesus Christ, that they would see that, Lord, you came for all types of people and that your grace is sufficient. And so God, would you take whatever offering is collected online or sent in checks via the mail, and would you use it so that we can continue to make much of you? Would you use it to make disciples of all nations and generations? Would you use it to make much of Jesus because he is the hope of the world? Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.